Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Friday, February 24th, and we're talking tech and Fitbit's latest earnings release. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined on Skype by Fool.com senior tech specialist, Evan New. Evan, how's it going? Good. I'm ready for the weekend. It's been a long week. Yeah, I think uh, everyone could use a little break. Um, seems <laughs> seems like Fitbit could definitely use a little bit of break uh, after releasing quarterly numbers that were frankly pretty rough for them. Yeah, I mean, they were pretty much, I don't think there were any big surprises. So even though it was a pretty bad quarter, the, the market didn't react too much because they issued preliminary guidance at the end of January. They're pretty much, you know, st- you know they, they pre-warned everyone how bad it's going to be. And it was pretty much right in line with how, you know that expectation. Yeah, the the company's top line came in at five hundred and seventy four million, which is down nineteen percent year over year. That was well within the revised guidance they offered of five hundred and seventy two million to five hundred and eighty million. But that revised guidance was walked back from original expectations of seven hundred and twenty five million to seven hundred and fifty million. So there's a big adjustment that took place in the market. And if you look back to late January, early February, that's where we saw the, you know, high teens nearing 20% sell off in the stock. Um, so there was no immediate market reaction, despite the disappointing results. Um, if, if you're looking for some of the other big numbers from the quarter, uh, gross margins, I think was one of the really big surprises that came in at 22.4%. And usually we tend to see that up somewhere in the high 40% range. Right. I mean, that that's a function of a bunch of these one-time charges um, that they took. And, you know, and again, they kind of warned about that stuff, too. Um, they had a big write-down for tooling equipment. They also had to increase return reserves because of channel inventory. They had to increase warranty reserves. Uh, all three of those items uh, go into cost of goods sold. They, uh, they're added to cost of goods sold. And then on the flip side, they also had... Um, a bunch of pricing promotions because they had to start discounting stuff to get stuff moving. And that item comes as a reduction of revenue. So, you know, you have all these charges. One of them pushes down revenue. The other three push up cost of goods sold. So it just really pinches their their margins. Uh, and like you mentioned, it came in at about 22% on a gap basis. And typically, they're this like 49%. And, and if you, and in fact, if you back out all of these items, they would have had about 49%, which is pretty comparable to um, what they normally have. And, and you know, since one of these items affects revenue, it also incre- affects your average selling price calculation, um, which they, they came in at like 85, 88 or something. Mm-hmm. And it would have been 95 without these charges, um, which again is pretty comparable to what they normally have. But the fact is that the, these charges were mostly because they really overestimated demand. They they really filled their channels, and these devices were not selling. Yeah, and I think it was easy to get caught up in high expectations looking at the growth trajectory that this company was on. You know, in 2015, the company posted 150% year-over-year revenue growth. And so for them to even slow down somewhere into the double digits, you think is fairly reasonable. Looking at the full-year results here, revenue came in at $2.17 billion, which was up from $1.86 billion in 2015, but that's only a 16% hike. So um, you're seeing a lot of the effects of them kind of overestimating, overestimating demand. We can kind of get into why, but um, it, it certainly weighed on financial results, particularly in the holiday quarter, which is you know tip when we see a lot of these consumer device companies doing a ton of their business. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know they they were very upfront and they owned it. You know they 
admitted that they really were caught off guard by how weak demand was, and they over-forecast it, uh, and they were a little too ambitious with their, ex- their own expectations internally, and they, they fell short you know, of their own expectations. So, yeah, they, they had to own it. Yeah, I think one of the things I do really appreciate is that they signaled this to the market ahead of results. And so, uh, you know, issuing preliminary results, particularly for a really important quarter like the calendar Q4, um, was great to give people a heads up of what to expect. And there wasn't as much of a shock to the system when they issued their results, you know, later on in the month. Um, I think something else and, and kind of the the ultimate cause of a lot of this stuff, um, this quote from management in the co- in the commentary, the saturation of the innovative and early adopter segments of the market was basically the cause. That's what they're seeing as the, the revised growth rate and, and really w- what pushed results down for them. Yeah, I mean, there, there's certainly a, a niche group of really active, you know, fitness users that are, are you know, just, just part of their lifestyle. And, you know, that's a good marker for them. But um, they they need to kind of break into the mainstream, and I mean that's I mean everyone wants to get healthier, and more, most people, even after they make that decision, they kind of let it go. You know, I mean, how many times have you like said that you're going to go start going to the gym or whatever, and then two months later you give up? I mean, it's it's a common thing, and I mean particularly for think about like the New Year's spike in gym membership. You know, every New Year's everyone's like New Year's resolution is I'm going to go get healthy, and then by February they give up. So, I mean, it's certainly a characteristic of the market that it's hard to, like, keep people engaged in terms of, like, their health, um, but that's this company's whole point. So, uh, it, it is a, an uphill battle in some ways, just just by nature of the, the way that people are. And one of the benefits that we get from looking at their full-year results is they disclose user base information uh, when they do the full-year reporting. And so... I think they just disclosed they have roughly 23 million uh, active users and 50 million registered devices. You want to touch on how that trends compared to previous years? Yeah, so they, they give this number every year, and I mean, I lo- I, I'd like to look at you know what proportion is active of their total registered base. And right now, you know, like you mentioned, if if we have 23 million active users and about 50 million registered devices, that's under half of their devices are being active. So it's like 45%. And over the past three years, this number is usually in this like 60% range. So like 2013 through 2015, it's like 60% plus or minus a couple of percentage points. So that's a pretty big drop in terms of engagement. I mean, Fitbit has said before that they don't want you to look at that ratio as this like, engagement proxy because they, they, they argue that some people go inactive, but then they reactivate and become active again. And it just tends to be buff, you know bumpy, so don't look too deeply at it. But at the same time, I'm like, how do you not take – I mean, I still think there's value in looking at this, this metric as kind of a proxy for engagement, even if it's maybe not perfect. I mean, I think there are still important things to, to note. And – you know, looking through the the numbers a bit more carefully too. So if you, so one thing they they mentioned that stood out to me was, twenty six percent of activations in twenty sixteen came from repeat customers, of those twenty percent were reactivated. So, but if we go back to that twenty six percent of activations, right? So like, last year there were a total of t- about twenty one million activated devices. If you just look at how many more devices were registered throughout the year. And if they're saying 26% of that is from repeat customers, then 
the other three quarters is new customers, right? So that's you know about 5.5 million repeats, almost 16 million new customers. Yet total active users, total active users, which includes repeat and new, only increased by like 6.3 million. So it's like you have all these new customers coming in, almost 16 million that bought a new Fitbit last year, but your total active users only increased by six. So, I mean, there's a big disconnect there with how many people are buying them and how many are still using them at year end. And, and that's, a, you know, I think that's a pretty troubling disconnect, you know, a big discrepancy. And I think that those numbers really speak to the idea of, okay, there is a dedicated group of consumers that the Fitbit products meet their needs very well. You know, they're people that want metrics on their, their workouts, their heart rate, um, the number of steps they're taking a day and their products are perfect for that, that seems to be more of a niche group than a large addressable market as perhaps originally predicted. And uh, when you see that that is the group that is really driving a lot of those engagement numbers, you have to think that, okay, maybe the ceiling's a little bit lower than we thought for what the total addressable market is here and uh, really the long-term growth prospects on the consumer side for the business for them. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. You know, it's like it's, it's. I think we've talked about this with other companies before, but it's like it depends on what your growth expectations are. Because yeah, I mean, you can build a great business around this niche group of people that's really active, and you know, you can count on them to start subscribing to these services that Fitbit wants to start selling, like Fitstar. You can count on them to upgrade more regularly. But there's a lot of people that are, you know, like kind of fickle about their health, and they're like, oh, I'm going to try this Fitbit out, and maybe they give up on it, and yeah, the Fitbit gets that sale, and maybe they, you know, they'll keep trying to appeal to that customer. But you know, if they just kind of tamper down their expectations, you know, there are a lot of people that are going to try it and just not going to stick with it. And if you just kind of bake that into your expectations and, and adjust your business strategy accordingly, versus you know trying to spend all this money to keep trying to win back these customers, if they're really resistant to just actually committing to to improving their health through with these devices, then there's not really a whole lot you can do. You know, I mean, it's, it's just, it's a tough dynamic to overcome. Mm. Well, I think that wraps the looking backwards part of our conversation, Evan. Uh, I think we're going to talk a little bit about what growth might look like for them down the road, how they might be able to reignite it with both the consumer segment and some other options. But before we get into that discussion uh, and see what might be going on in 2017 for Fitbit, just wanted to give fools a little heads up if you're interested in income investing, we have a brand new service called Motley Fool Total Income. It incorporates dividend stocks, options, bonds, real estate, and more. If you want to check it out, uh, all the details are at totalincomeradio.fool.com. So, Evan, in addition to um, some of the growth strategies the company talked about in their earnings release, they also offered up guidance for 2017. And it looks like we'll be seeing revenue somewhere in the neighborhood of 1.5 to 1.7 billion, and gross margins returning to what we'd reasonably expect, somewhere between 42 and 44 percent. That top line number is a 20 percent dip from what they posted uh, in 2016. Yeah, so it's it's getting harder before it gets any easier. Because yeah, I mean, it's you know they put up last year was about 2.2 billion almost. And so, yeah, already predicting a, another decline, or a decline is definitely not a good sign in terms of investor sentiment. And I think when you look at some of the strategies they're outlining here for the turnaround plan, um, maybe it's not all that surprising. So CEO James Park talked about 
some of the different um, different things that they're going to be pursuing. And one of them was increasing their promotional activity. And this is something that we saw a little bit in Q4. And I think we're going to continue to see into 2017 with some of their existing products. Um, they talked about the idea of having more in-store promotions, working with retail partners. And really the aim of all that is to clear out the inventory channel. Of course, when they do that, that's something that's going to push down average selling prices on devices. Yeah, I mean, they, they really overloaded their channel during the quarter. Um, and and that's a lot of what, you know, because they're getting these write-downs, they've got reserves, they've got to start giving discounts to their channel partners. <laughs> like it's And it's going to take, like you mentioned, it is going to take a couple of quarters to, to clear it out and get um, channel inventories back in line with kind of like uh, a balance. But yeah, it's it doesn't look too good right now. One of the other things that they're talking about doing is improving efficiencies across the company. And so we've seen this a little bit already with some reorganizations within the business. Um, They've made some staffing cuts. But one of the other things they talked about was restructuring their accessories business. And they've moved to this partner and license model instead of the designing and producing accessories in-house approach. Um, That obviously gives them a little bit less control, but it might help them out on the cost side a little bit. Yeah, it's just you know, kind of outsourcing it more or less. And I think that's probably the right move because they obviously have better things to focus on right now. Um, and yeah, I mean, they, they you know, coming back to this idea that they just bet too heavily on growth, I mean, you mentioned headcount, I think. And their headcount increased by like 60% last year. So, uh, yeah, and they, that's why they really need to cut back these operating expenses. And that's also why they laid off about 107 people. Um, but at the same time, they also did a bunch of aqua hires. So they acquired uh, Pebble and Vector within the past couple of months, and that certainly adds to your headcount also. But those are much more strategic in nature because those, those will help the development of the smartwatch, which they've been talking about. But, yeah, I mean, they, they just need to really cut, cut down these costs to really get back in line with more reasonable expect, expectations. Yeah, and you talked about that uh, kind of being a focus decision too, and I think really – not having to worry about that stuff allows them to focus on kind of two core things. And one of them is the products that they're offering and, and maybe building out some more uh, all-in-one smartwatch-like products. And the other one being other ways for people to be using their products um, that are beyond kind of the base consumer approach uh, that, you know, most people are commonly using them for now. And so, you know, we, we've talked about this a little bit in the first half of the show, but, you know, they've mentioned that they've captured this this innovator group already, people that are early adopters and, and want fresh gadgets and fresh technology, and you know the affinity group of people that want fitness trackers. And they've talked about the idea of needing to transition to that mid to late adopter market and then meet them with products that are going to be attractive to them. And James Park had this quote in the conference call where he said, increasing the value proposition of our software beyond just tracking is key to bringing more customers to the Fitbit family and reigniting growth. I don't know about you, Evan, but to me, that sounds like it's going into smartwatches. I think it's both. I mean, there, there's a couple of things going on here. I think they, you know, they, they do want to get more into this kind of premium subscription service game, which is why they bought Fitstar in 2015, which is one of those, you know, just one of those many mobile apps where you subscribe and it gives you workouts and all these other things. Uh, I don't think it's really taken off in terms of, you know, I mean, they relaunched it and the the, the reception is pretty good so far, but we're not really seeing a lot of. Uh, revenue or numbers coming from it, but I, you know, I, I think they're making progress on that front. And then the other piece of it is the smartwatch idea, and they've been very cognizant of, you know, the overlap of basic wearable trackers and smartwatches or more full-featured smartwatches. 
and they have a couple products that are watches, but they don't even consider them smartwatches. You know, they consider them like a GPS watch, for example. Um, and that's you know that was a big part of why they bought Pebble uh, and and Vector. But Pebble specifically, you know, has a platform that you know, that offers third-party apps. It's one of those kind of platforms that sits on top of a platform. So you know, if you have a iOS or Android device, you go and you download the Pebble app, or you used to. The Pebble app, it's in, in inside the Pebble app is an app store. Uh, it, it was it wasn't ever really big. It wasn't a whole lot of stuff in there. But the point is that they had one. So Fitbit wants to use that as a foundation to build their own third party platform. It's unclear if they're going to try to do it on their own or if they're also kind of take the same approach of like platform on top of a platform. Um, but either way, I mean that's definitely a big part of their strategy. They want to expand into uh, you know create a third party ecosystem which is really when, generally speaking, you get to see a lot of innovation on top of platforms is when you really opened up to, to other developers. So you know, they, they want to get into services, they want to get into software, and you know, really create this plat- the smartwatch platform. So those will be the, the really big important things going forward. And also that would help them diversify a little bit away from hardware because right now it, the whole business is built on hardware sales, which, I mean, all consumer electronics product companies are really it's just a fickle market it's really hard to to really you know rely on recurring revenue when you're a hardware-based company yeah it can be a little bit tougher to anticipate what consumer upgrade cycles might look like device to device and how long they'll hold on to them additionally you know working in software and services offers Fitbit a totally different margin profile right and so you know we talked about how they had to do some heavy discounting in order to clear through some inventory and that's something that we're going to continue to see in 2017 um that that whole product segment won't be subject to the same wild swings and margins um if they're able to build it out to be a meaningful part of the business right i mean and, de- and definitely it scales much better so if they could really get <clears throat> fitstar off the ground but i mean that's a really competitive market i mean there's so many apps out there nowadays that are really geared towards fitness and you know they're subscription-based but, and you know, so there, there's a lot already out there. So Fitbit's entering a, a pretty crowded market, uh, and if they can, I mean, I guess the challenge will be how do they differentiate themselves in that market? And certainly they have some advantages because they integrate with the device itself, and um, you know they have their other platform that tracks your biometric data and all these things. But it, it'll be tough. But I mean, that's I think it'll be pretty important to see if they can pull it off. Yeah, and outside of that that consumer realm, one of the other things that we got some color on in the management commentary uh, following results was the push into some of the health tech uh, initiatives that we saw some of in 2016. And I I think the company is going to continue to push. And so as an example of of where this comes into play for the company, you know, last year they announced a, a partnership with Medtronic. And basically that partnership synced up Medtronic's continuous glucose monitors with Fitbit's activity trackers as this integrated solution. And the idea was that it helped uh, individuals with type two diabetes um, kind of help with their management of that and and give kind of a better diagnostic on general activity and and might've improved outcomes as well. And, you know, for context, there are tens of millions of individuals with type two diabetes in the U.S. alone. And so um, that that is a very large market. Obviously, these are some early partnerships. They also have some stuff going on uh, in the insurer space with United Health. but in my mind, that is really where some of the big growth opportunities might be for them. And, you know, they spent a decent amount of time highlighting that on the conference call. 
Yeah, I think that's that's definitely a, another area of opportunity for them because, yeah, I mean, if you can integrate with these other existing health providers, you can really kind of differentiate great, you know, to a greater degree and really build up your presence. Um, and you know, at the same time, uh, it's you know, th- you know, there's this corporate wellness um, initiatives, which again is also very competitive too because you have you know, company, big, much larger companies like, like Apple has also been really working actively to work with. Um, corporate wellness programs, you know, they, they Apple has a deal with Aetna, uh, and then you know Fitbit has a deal with United Health. I mean, so both companies are really trying to get in on this corporate wellness stuff, uh, just because you know companies see that as a way to reduce their healthcare costs over time. So I think that there is definitely an opportunity for both, uh, and, and that's probably growing enough to where both can succeed in, in without you know necessarily being a zero sum thing because the pie is growing so big that there's probably enough to go around. Uh, considering how young the wearables market is, and you know, I think corporate wellness is really, as an in, as an industry, is only now starting to really embrace some of the technology that's, that's being offered out there. So I think we're still in the early innings of of that. Yeah, and insurers ultimately are looking for as much data as possible when it comes to the population of people that they're providing coverage for, right? And so, um, you know, I'm sure that that's an appealing option to a lot of those insurers. Um, that that is all to say with with the healthcare applications and with um, what they might be doing on the consumer device side and some improvements in their product line, it seems like there are still some opportunities for Fitbit. I mean, this is a beaten up stock. I know that there are a lot of fools that own it and really like the business and, and have following, been following it for a while. Um, looking at guidance, the company is trading at one times 2017 sales at this point, which is, you know, we can't do a PE valuation. We have to do the price to sales because the earnings have turned negative and will over 2017. But that's a pretty darn cheap business. Yeah, it's that, that's the thing. Is like I don't, I'm not, I don't think Fitbit has like this great business going. I think they have a pretty solid business, but I don't think it's something that like I'm like, whoa, that looks awesome. <laughs> I, I'm pretty neutral overall, I would say, uh, and specifically because it's so cheap, it's hard for me to be bearish given how cheap the stock is right now. So with the current valuation. The expectations are pretty low, so you don't really have to, you know, execute that well to meet low expectations. I mean, if the stock were higher, like it was a year ago, I'd probably be a little bit more bearish. But I don't see. I'm not bullish either because I don't see a lot of. You know, they have a lot of uncertainty. They obviously just had a really terrible quarter, and it's not clear if they're going to really be able to pull off some of these big executional or these big strategies they're trying to, to pull off to grow and really. I mean, they have opportunities that we've talked about, but. Yeah, I, I'm kind of neutral just because there's, it's it's like they're really cheap, but I don't see a whole lot of upside. And, and, and it's not even a lot of upside in their own guidance, as you can see. So it's not like, you know, they have this huge runway ahead of them necessarily. But, yeah. you know, in, in I'm, the, kind of, I'm kind of in the middle. <laughs> in the past, um, I've kind of likened them to Garmin, the GPS company, in that, you know, early on with Garmin, that seemed like a transformative technology, and it was. And the growth was huge in the first couple of years. Um, and then things kind of leveled off and they became, well, partially because, you know, the GPS technology got integrated into smartphones. Um, but they wound up serving a really um, hyper-focused niche of people that needed, like, performance navigation devices. Um, you know, people that wanted really high-performance smartwatches, um, people that wanted navigation for kind of more extreme weather and, and uh, sailing and stuff like that. And it's a business that has a core group and and that core group isn't necessarily going anywhere. Um, That is kind of what I see with Fitbit right now, 
with the caveat that they do have a large opportunity in the health tech space. Um, I, I think that Fitbit, as it continues to be, as it looks right now, if if it continues to be this company, um, I don't love the growth prospects. If they're able to make that pivot over to the digital health world and become more of a software services and general platform company that has these health partnerships, then it becomes really interesting. Um, they need to do quite a bit to make that move, though. And on my end, I'm not really looking at them until I see some solid evidence that that transition is taking root. Yeah, I think it's going to be a really tough transition to smartwatches. I mean, Apple's going to be a huge presence in smartwatches specifically. And, I mean, it's it's just going to be so hard for, for Fitbit to even compete against them. I mean, we were talking about this before the show, but, like, Fitbit's total market cap is, like, $1.5 billion. Apple makes five times that in a single quarter. So, like, in terms of resources, you just can't compete. And Apple certainly started off with smartwatches without doing anything like the basic stuff. Now Fitbit made its name with basic wearables and basic trackers. Now they're trying to move up market to challenge Apple in the smartwatch market. And not that the smartwatch market is doing very well right now. I mean, it kind of stumbled last year. But just the conceptually, it's just it's going to be really tough to compete with Apple. Yeah, and so ultimately, this might be a business that winds up servicing its core user base. Um, you know, for an extended period of time and doing a very good job at that. Um, there are growth opportunities, but they have to do quite a bit to really make them materialize and and make them into large ramps for this business. Right, and there's just so many areas. That, you know, they got so many different areas to that they got to execute on to really pull this off. And the question is, can management actually focus on each of these areas? And you know, it's a lot to juggle. Yeah, we will look to future earnings results and see. Yeah. Uh, thanks for joining us, Evan. Thanks for having me. Well, listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or if you just want to reach out and say hey, you can shoot us an email at industryfocus at fool.com. You can always tweet us at MF Industry Focus as well. If you're looking for more of our stuff, subscribe on iTunes or check out the Fool's family of shows at fool.com slash podcasts. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. For Evan New, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening and fool on.